church, praise God. That we are no longer a slave to fear. But we are children of God. And the church say amen. The gospel of Jesus Christ allows us to be children, sons and daughters of God, no longer a slave to fear. Can the church say amen a little louder on that?
continue to read Galatians, you, get, you can get to the question, well then, why have the law in the first place? Or how good of a person do I need to be? Or is the law or obedience really that important then? If it's all through Jesus, and it's all through faith, then why even have obedience and the law? And all great questions I'm sure that you have. But Paul knows that his readers are having these questions. And so he begins to make his argument even clearer in chapter 3. So today we're going to have to put on our thinking caps a little bit. We're going to have to do some work here because uh, this is, Paul kind of goes from, uh, you know, telling his side of the story and personal side of the story to now becoming like a defense attorney and making his case. Okay? So you're going to have to think a little bit here. Are you guys ready to think, church? Okay, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, try to get close to somebody who does. And I'm going to do something a little bit different today where I'm going to read the whole text and then I'm going to kind of peel off a few thoughts for us to consider. But I want to encourage you to study this on your own because chapter 3 is like four or five sermons separately. Like there's so much in there. I'm just going to try my best to simplify for all of us, and I hope that it resonates with your heart. But as you know, what we're trying to do this year is take a chapter of each epistle and allow God's Word to speak to us. There's no agenda here. There's no, you know, behind the scenes, like, let's, we need to move the church in this direction. It's not it. It's just let's allow God's Word to speak to our hearts. Amen? Amen. So Galatians chapter 3. In verse 1. Now, wait, context. Remember, remember the issue here in the church is that there are Jewish teachers who have come into the Galatian churches and began teaching that they needed to obey Jewish law in order to be acceptable to God. Paul is adamantly arguing his po this point by helping them to see that this was never God's original plan for mankind. And he's also upset with these teachers that are influencing the church. Because the implication is that the gospel of Jesus is not enough. That legalism will take over, which leads us into insecurity, paranoia, fear, and pride, as salvation begins to depend on our own actions or performance and not on the work of Jesus Christ. So the apostle takes all that within the context, and he says this in Galatians 3, Verse 1, thinking cap on, gospel glasses on, seatbelts strapped, here we go. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So I'm going to ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. <clears throat> Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, saying, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. But Christ redeemed us from this curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let's take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but it says, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Christ Jesus, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of his faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So, in Christ Jesus, you all are children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's a lot. You guys are like, you lost me at, like, law inheritance part. You lost me at verse 5. You know, like, there's a lot in here. I hope in your own Bible study, you can take time in your life to take a whole chapter and read it all the way through. And not just take it like, oh, I read my one verse in the day today. No, take some time to read the whole chapter because you can learn a lot. Okay, you guys ready? Let's break this down. Are 
blessed. If you start with faith, you'll continue with faith. If you start with the gospel message of justification, just as that I never saying, like Gordon Ferguson said, if you start with the gospel message of justification by faith, you will grow in the gospel. The gospel should be permeating every aspect of your life. It wasn't just for the beginning of your faith journey. It's forever. It lasts. Does that make sense? The gospel promise lasts. It's not just, I believe, I get baptized, and now I'm trying by human effort to make sure I'm in good place with God. No. It's you believe, you believe, you have faith, you get baptized, and you continue believing. You continue growing in the faith, and the gospel now permeates, bathes you in everything, every perspective, everything that you think, every decision is influenced by the gospel. As a follower of Jesus, I need to go back again and again to the gospel of Jesus. Him being crucified in my place, taking on my sin, allowing this message to grip my heart, my being. This will begin to change me and allow room for the Spirit to transform me. Here's how it applies. We say, you and I will say, God, I have a God, I have a problem with anger. Take away my anger. Or God, I have a problem with lust. Take away my lust. Please remove this from my life. But Paul would tell you, here's the thing about your, you and your sin. The issue is not God taken away from you because he already has. Paul would tell us that uncontrolled impurity or uncontrolled anger or bitterness is a result of not living in line with the gospel. It means we began with Jesus as Savior, but something else has become our Savior in place of Jesus. Instead of believing that Christ is our hope and our goodness, we are looking to something else as a hope or to some other way to make us feel good and complete. It's a functional Savior versus our real Savior. Instead of just hoping God will take away our anger or lust or impurity or whatever, or simply trying to get rid of it through white-knuckling it, we should ask, if I'm being angry or lustful or unforgiving, what is it that I think I need so much? What is it that I think I need in order to be fulfilled or complete because Christ isn't enough? Usually our sin is in place because we're trusting something else to give us joy and not the gospel of Christ. But if we continually make our hearts look at Christ, crucified, and remember his sacrifice, the Spirit will work in us to replace that functional Savior with the Savior. And the root of our sin will begin to disappear and wither. We will always, always need the gospel. The gospel is not just before you become a Christian. The gospel will always be there for us as we grow in Christ. You guys follow me here on this? Okay, the gospel promise is one that lasts. Number two, the gospel promise is greater than the law. Paul then starts to use the Old Testament and the example of Abraham to make his argument against these Jewish teachers. He says here, so he says here in verse six, so so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul's a genius here. Here's what he's doing, is he's addressing some Jewish teachers. The Jewish teachers are saying, Hey, that's great that you believe in Jesus, but now to be acceptable, you need to live. 
And so Paul takes the father of the Jews, Abraham, as the example, to make his point that the gospel of grace existed before the law. See, Abraham, it says here, Abraham believed God, not believed in God, believed God, trusted God. And he trusted God's promise. And God credited him with righteousness. He wasn't righteous within himself. He wasn't doing right things. The only thing Abraham did was trust God's promise. Instead, God viewed him as righteous because of his faith. This righteousness and not being viewed as condemned was all based on a promise. And Paul references Genesis 15 when God tells Abraham to look up at the stars. Dude, sinners will be as numerous as the stars. And all nations will be blessed through you. There was no law. It was just a promise that God made to Abraham. Read it on your own. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 18. You can look that up. It's a good little Bible study right there. And Abraham, though, a smart man, he says, well, how will I know? How do I know, God, that you're going to fulfill this promise? And God then in the story tells him to bring a ram and a pigeon and a cow and, and, and you got to cut these animals up. Everybody in animal rights here is like, what? This is blasphemy. No, you got to cut these things up and, and then he, he falls into a deep sleep. Read, read Genesis 15. There's some crazy stuff in there. This, this, this whole situation is really great for us. But in Abraham's day, a covenant and agreement or a Say that Moses' law is superior, but God is 
3.17 says it this way. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Isn't that incredible? Think about you and I. Here's the thing. Why is that relevant, Justin? You and I are part of this promise that was given thousands of years before. Even Jesus himself. The announcement of the gospel was made between God and Abraham. God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. Through your seed. And then every Old Testament, everything that happened in the Old Testament points everyone to Jesus. But now you and I are heirs. We get to have this inheritance. That's what he's saying to the Gentiles. It's not for the Jews. Sin, provokes sin, condemns sin. The purpose of the law. 
rebellious, guilty, under the judgment of God, and helpless to save themselves. And the law must still be allowed to do its God-given duty today. One of the greatest faults of the contemporary church is the tendency to soft-pedal sin and judgment. We must never bypass the law and come straight to the gospel. To do so is to contradict the plan of God in biblical history. No man has ever appreciated the gospel until the law was first revealed to him to himself. It is only against the inky blackness of the night sky that the stars begin to appear. And it is only against the dark background of sin and judgment that the gospel shines forth. Isn't that cool to think about? That makes it very, okay, that makes sense, right? Like, I need to know, the law was given so I can know myself. I am whack at this, I'm whack at that, I'm just whack. I'm just whack, I'm full of whackness in every area of life.
gospel, uh, uh, the law kept us locked up, it kept us like a guard, like, like there's an imprisonment that happens with the law. But Jesus gives freedom, joy, light. If you're a Christian and you constantly feel weighed down, I will question your understanding of the gospel message. Good, Ruben. Lastly, the gospel promise leads to new identity. Paul closes the chapter after helping the church see that God's grace is superior and is the foundation of our salvation. He helps the church see that it's that that how that is affected within the new community of believers in Christ Jesus. You are all children of God. For all of you who were baptized into Christ and clothed yourselves with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free nor male or female, all labels are gone. You are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. He goes back to the Old Testament. You're Abraham's seed, this promise that was from years ago, and heirs according to the promise. Because of Jesus, you are now children of God through faith. Not through obedience, but because of a promise. God sees you and me as his own. Remember, he's talking to Christians here. This is not a general, we're all
Protestantism or different cultures, it changes our thinking. Gospel community is completely transformed because of the gospel promise. A blessing for all the nations through Abraham's seed, Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that through the gospel message, there is sonship, there is freedom, there is a knowledge and fact that God is for us. He's not out to get us. And this should motivate us to respond in faith, in trust, joy, and gratitude. I now give, or I serve, or I confess, or I seek help, or I show hospitality, not to be approved of by God, but because He is for me. It's my response out of joy and gratitude and my from my faith in God's promise of grace that he showed to me on the cross. And my question to you is what will your response be? To God's gospel promise. Some of us today are outside of faith and trying to figure out a faith. God's gospel promise that he gave in Genesis